Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hi there. Before we get the episode started, I got some news to tell you. You are obviously listening to a podcast, so you're a podcast fan. But have you ever wanted to launch your own podcast? I am once again curating a select group to take through the entire process of launching a podcast. It is the Podcast Launch Group. I've got five to ten people. You can start with absolutely zero experience, zero podcasts, zero equipment. At the end of the eight weeks, you will have a world-class show ready for the world to hear. If you'd like to participate in this very limited group, I'm only taking five to ten people. Go to podcastlaunchgroup.com for more information. Podcastlaunchgroup.com for more information. We'll see you there. The Solopreneur Hour podcast. Job security for the unemployable. It's the Solopreneur Hour podcast with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to the Solopreneur Hour podcast, where every episode we co-host with the best and brightest solopreneurs in the land. And now your host, Michael O'Neill. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Solopreneur Hour. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy 2023 to you. I hope 2022 is everything you wanted. And uh, we are going to rock this new year, especially with this first episode of the year. Um, this was interesting. I, as you guys know, I've done this for nine years. I've been pitched 84,000 times. And um, one of the more unique ways I've ever been pitched is when somebody makes me a video of just kind of a hello and I want to be on your show. And, and, and I've had a bunch, but I don't know if I've ever actually said yes to one and, until this one. And because this gentleman is, um, I just remember going, yeah, dude, this guy's got it together. He's, he's cranking. And then the more I dug into his career and his history, the more I was like, this dude's doing things, man. He's he's cranking, and I, I want to listen to him. Like, I really uh, enjoy hearing someone's perspective. Uh, you know, as we've talked a million times on the show, uh, if you're an athlete or musician, you ha- you're just wired a different way. You, you're wired with some grit. You're wired with some uh, overcoming adversity. And it, it, to me, it's the number one asset you can have as an entrepreneur. And this dude is definitely no exception. Uh, his, his Instagram is super motivational every single day. Um, it, it just seems like if you're in the dude's orbit, you're going you're gonna to improve your life. And I love that. Um, his bio said he wrote 14 books, which is totally wrong because he's written 33. Uh, and his bio also said he gave four TED Talks, but he's probably done like 17. But we'll figure that out soon. Uh, he is at... D-R-E, Dre Baldwin on Instagram, and he has a brand new event coming out, Work On Your Game Live, February 3rd and 4th down in Miami. Work On Your Game Live, February 3rd and 4th in Miami uh, at workonyourgame.live. He is Mr. Dre Baldwin. Hello, sir. How you doing, Michael? I'm excited to be here, man. Thank you for the introduction. Oh, dude, no problem. Hey, so we have something in common that you don't know about, but I'm a Philly boy. 
I grew up oh, there. Yeah. What yeah. part of Philly? I grew up there. So I, I grew up in Bucks County in uh, Yardley and then moved to Roxborough yeah. and Maniunk uh, when I went to Temple. Okay. I, I graduated from Temple. Yeah, so I know all of those areas. I got friends in, actually, my aunt was in Bucks County. I got some other friends in Bucks County. I've been in every anywhere around Philly I know. And actually, I went to high school at uh, 17th and Norris, which is right in the middle of Temple's uh, campus. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, all in the in the nicest part of Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just, yeah, dude, I, I remember um, my car, uh, I had a, my car got stolen uh, twice. Once, once in Maniunk and once actually at Temple. Um, Temple is like this really killer art school. For those of you who don't know, it's in Philly. Not in the greatest neighborhood in the world, although I think it's probably better now than it was when I was there in the 90s. It's very gentrified. Is it? Yeah, it's been very gentrified now. Because the last time I was there, uh, I was in Philly just visiting. I went to my old high school. And the area that they used to tell us, hey, after school, don't walk in these streets. Now it's so gentrified. Like now they made it into like a... Uh, Student housing. Oh, you're it kidding. It used to be student housing. Yeah. So they gentrified a lot of that area. I used to ride my bike. I lived in uh, Roxborough and I'd ride my bike to school because it wasn't that far. And then mm. like just a couple of blocks off campus, I happened upon a like a drive by shooting like two minutes after it happened. So there was people mm. on the ground. And I was like, I'm going to probably not ride through here anymore. This is a bad <laughs> this is a bad call on my part. But man, yeah. um, you're in Miami now. But but uh I will say the one thing about Philly, other than the uh, giant history of breaking the hearts of anybody that was a sports fan in that town, um, was the food. The food is so good in Philly. It's so good. Agreed. Such t- good Italian. I miss I miss a good cheesesteak. I miss a good pretzel. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. No, they don't even sell pretzels down here in Miami. Nobody like you know people don't like pretzels in Florida. Isn't you know that? It's not even a thing, is it? They don't know. What do they not. know? So, so they, do you like water ice? Water ice? Yeah, of course. So yeah. down here, they have the Italian ice places. And because I used to work at one of them up in Philly. Yeah. And I would always get the water ice with the pretzel, the soft pretzel. That's right. Not, not the pretzels in the plastic bag, everybody who's listening. Not the grocery store pretzels, but the soft pretzels. The soft pretzels. So, yeah. So I would go to the water ice place down here when they finally started opening opening them down here. And I said, well, let me get a pretzel with my water ice. And they said, well, we don't sell pretzels. Oh. And I would talk to the franchisees and say, why don't y'all sell pretzels? And they said, well, we did research. People down here don't eat pretzels. So you cannot find a Philly soft pretzel in South Florida. What about a Wawa? What about it's a like, Wawa? Do they have them? There's no Wawa down here. There isn't uh, There isn't uh, 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 Palm Beach and Orlando and stuff. There's a Wawa. Yeah, there are few and far between. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of them. Ah, I miss it, though. I miss it, I'll tell you. Um, I need soft pretzels in my life. You need soft pretzels, and they have to be like, it's got to be like outside of Penn Station or like somewhere somewhere in Philly or New York, and it has to have just a little bit of dirt from the street vendor. Otherwise, it doesn't have the right. And from the the exhaust from the cars. (laughs) That's right. It's got to have just the right. And the thing is, here's the thing, Michael. There was a guy... out in uh, I used to live in I lived in plantation for a short period of time, and there was a guy who was from Philly. He used to be a podiatrist. He opened a Philly pretzel. It was called Philly Pretzel Heaven mm. in South Florida, and he ended up closing it down because he was like, Dre, there's just not enough customers, <laughs> not enough people who come buy this stuff. I would go there and buy pretzels all the time. I would go right before closing. They would give me like thirty pretzels. They're like, we're gonna throw these in the trash. So just take them. And then he closed, and there's nowhere to get pretzels in South Florida. And Bro, that was you. Like, Six years ago. When's the last time you were in uh, the L.A. area? Uh, I don't come to the. I don't go to the L.A. that much. I go to Vegas all the time, but L.A. Okay. Man, last time I was is probably uh, twenty sixteen or seventeen. 
Well, there's a place here called the Shappy, S-H-A-P-P-Y, mm-hmm. Shappy Pretzel Company. And it's a, like a pop-up okay. shop. Uh, nail it. They completely and utterly nailed the guys from Philly. He's actually an actor. And uh, during COVID, just was like, yeah, I'm going to start a pretzel place. And it's phenomenal. So if you are in the L.A. area, look for uh, at Shappy, S-H-A-P-P-Y, Shappy Pretzel. Yeah, I'm looking them up. Dot com or Shabby Pretzel on uh, on uh, Instagram and it's delish. Um, you were uh, a Studio City place. I'm looking at their site. Yeah, these are right. perfect. Yeah, it looks it looks like the real thing. Three for when for you do, uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. For when you do your event here <laughs> on the West Coast, uh, yeah. you'll have to go grab a couple pretzels. So you were a right. nine year pro uh, basketball player. That's right. Yes. So obviously you're you're. You know, whatever you're five, six, seven years old, you start uh, playing hoops in Philly. Um, when did you know you were good enough to to go pro, or when did when did someone tell you, dude? You know, it's there. We got to develop some stuff. Um, never. So I was I was not playing when I was five, six, and seven years old. Actually, I was playing no street football, no kickball. I was always athletic into sports, but I never I didn't get into basketball till I was age fourteen. I think mm. that's where you got that number from. Um, like I think you got number fourteen from basketball. Wow. I started playing when I was fourteen. I had played other sports, but basketball didn't start till I was that was ninth grade. So I was very late. That's really late. To, yeah, for when someone wants to go somewhere, uh, college, let alone the pros. And um, yeah, I didn't have anyone. No one took me under their wing. Nobody taught me how to play basketball. I was basically self-taught. I had you no know, both parents and I have a sister, but none of them are athletes. None of them is even six feet tall. I'm six four. So that it was me just basically learning on my own. I just went to the basketball court and you know, my parents taught us, you know, discipline, do your chores, do your homework, be good in school. So I took the discipline that I learned from my parents and I just applied that to sports. So I took that to the basketball court and that's basically how I learned how to play. But as far as uh, believing that I could go pro, that was probably around age 16 when I decided that I wanted to go pro in basketball, but there was no blueprint for this. And mind you, I'm 40 years of age. So this is the nineties. Yeah. There's no Instagram. It's not like you can look up some guy on YouTube who lays out the blueprint for how he did it. That, that didn't exist. It was just me saying, I want to play pro basketball. I didn't even know overseas basketball existed because that's where all my career took place. So at that time, I'm just thinking I can make it to the NBA. I didn't know how or what I was going to do, but that was just the idea that I had. One thing I like about that is the the how is none of your business. It's one of my favorite quotes, which is the how is none of your business. What, what, if you have an idea that you want to do something, um, you might like look at the top of this hike you're going to do. And you don't know the exact way the trail goes, but you know, I want to stand up there next to that tree. So the how is none of your business. You just keep going up. Um, at some point, did someone kind of lay out like, you know, strategically, here's how you got to do what you got to do. You know, did you pick a school? Like what was the, you know, how much did basketball factor into how your ninth through, you know, 12th and then college days went? Good question. So to answer your first question, uh, actually, to respond to something that you said there, I agree with that. The how doesn't matter. It's the what and the why. Right. When you know what you want and why you want it, the how becomes the bridge between the two. But you just got to have the endpoints. And as far as that. uh, So high school, I was just trying to make the basketball team. I didn't make the basketball team, Michael, until I was a senior in high school. Wow. So I only played one year of basketball (laughs) in high school. 
And the school I went to, we didn't have JV and we didn't have a freshman team. So it was one team. I only made that one team my senior year and didn't really play that year. Didn't really do anything. So going to college, I knew I was going to go to college just based off my you know, academics. And I wanted to go to college anyway. So it was my excuse to you know get away from my, get out of my parents' house and get the hell out of Philadelphia. So I wanted to see the rest of the world because I knew it existed. Even the internet wasn't the internet back then, but I knew there was other places that I wanted to go to. So college was my excuse to do that. Yeah, didn't even go far. You know, my I was getting mail from a lot of different colleges, but I went to a, a magnet high school. So my grade, my weighted GPA was like better than most kids in the city. So I'm getting mail from all kinds of colleges. So I wanted to go to like uh, LA. I wanted to go to like UCLA or USC or somewhere in Tennessee or Florida or Texas or Arizona. And I was getting all this different mail, but I didn't have a real reason to go to any one of them. And I would just um, back then when you were about to go to college, you would get these applications with a fee waiver. So basically you could apply to the college and not have to pay the fee to apply. And this is where college gets you. They make you pay just to apply to go to school. Then they charge you to go there. But anyway, I filled out all the college's applications that gave me the fee waiver. I got accepted to Penn State, which is the Pennsylvania State University, where the tuition is super low if you're an in-state student, especially if you have good grades. So I had a couple grants and things like that. So my parents ended up saying, look, if we send you to any one of these other schools, because I actually had a... um, I got a 50% scholarship offer to Morehouse College. You familiar with Morehouse, Michael? I am. I know the name, uh, but I don't know the school. All right. So Morehouse is an HBCU. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. And this is where uh, Martin Luther King went there. Spike Lee went there. Got it. Uh, several prominent, I think, W.E.B. Dubois. I think he went there. Don't quote me on that one. But several prominent <laughs> black men went there. It's an all-boys college. But there are four colleges down there. Well, you, at least it used to be. And they called it the quad. There was... Mm. There was um, Morehouse, which is all boys. There's Spellman, which is all girls. There was uh, Morris Brown, which is co-ed. And there was Clark Atlanta, which is co-ed. So all four colleges all in the same area. Mm. So that's where I was going to go. And I had a 50% scholarship, but the tuition to go to Morehouse for out-of-state student is like 50 grand a year. Right. So even half of that 50, my parents were like, listen, we would have to take out a loan because you're not going to get it. We'll be in debt for the rest of our lives. So you can't go there. So you're going to go to Penn State. So that's how I ended up going to Penn State. I went to Penn State Abington, which is right outside of Philly. You familiar yep. with Abington? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I went to Penn State Abington, 20 minutes from my parents' home. Abington doesn't even have dorms, Michael. So I'm mm. living in my, I'm still living in my parents' home my freshman year of college. Walked on to play on the basketball team. So this is where the basketball part is. I made the basketball team as a freshman at Abington, became a starter. So clearly I was getting better. But this is at Abington's a D3 school. Nobody outside of Penn State Abington cares about what's happening on the basketball team at Penn State Abington. So I played there, fine. I got recruited after my freshman year to go play at Penn State Altoona, which is about three hours away in the middle of the state, not far from the state college main campus of Penn State's system. And that's where I finished out in school. And that's a Division three school, which, again, nobody cares what's happening on that campus as far as a sports team other than the people who go there. Right. So even though I played there, it didn't matter in the big picture of basketball, who the hell cares about some player at a D3 college that has never produced a pro player. So that's where I was at by the time I graduated from college. Unreal. That's uh, that's quite a story. By the way, I was like, I just looked at the clock going, oh man, I'm glad I didn't interrupt if you were going to watch the Rose Bowl, which is in a couple hours from when we're recording this. Um, oh, yeah. uh, Penn State. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, man, that that is... Uh, and then at some point, someone at Penn State says, here's your pro opportunities. NBA's not calling. You didn't get drafted or whatever, but there's some stuff overseas. 
Um, I wish it happened like that. No, it didn't. <laughs> no, it did not happen. That, no, nothing's easy. So, no, it did not happen that way. So <laughs> what did happen was one of my teammates in college, um, I got Wes Pfeiffer. He's actually a college coach, head college coach these days. He was, he was from North Carolina. Now he has some friends who actually did play professional basketball overseas. So by this point, while I'm in college, I knew that overseas basketball existed, but I still did not know how, when, where, what, you know, what, what I do to actually get into that world. So when I started talking to my teammate, he and I kind of connected really quickly because we were both kind of guys who outside of the practice, you know, when you play on a sports team, you have practice, especially in college, just practice every day. And then you can practice on your own if you want to. If you're inclined to really, you are serious, you'll practice on your own outside of what the team requires. He and I were the only two guys on the team that were really put time in outside of what the team required to practice. So mm. he noticed that in me, I noticed that in him. So we be, we connected on that level. So he would start to tell me, because I told him, well, I'm trying to play, keep playing after school is over. And he's like, hey, I am too. Now with the rest of our teammates, mind you, we're at a division three college. Division three athletes don't even dream about making it pro. Like they don't think about that. They're all in school. They're playing because they can. Like I'm good enough to play college basketball. Let me play. But when this is over, is over. I'm gonna go be an, an insurance agent or you no know, start a company or get into finance. They are they had no ambition to go further than college and basketball. He and I were the only two on that campus who did, mm. at least on the team at that time. So we started talking and he told me, Hey, I know guys who play overseas. Here's what they did. They did this. They took this step, this step, this step. And what we would need to do, basically he explained to me, we need to go to this event called an exposure camp. You familiar with that? Yeah, Michael? I am. Yeah. But tell, okay, but so tell the rest of the class. Yes. Exposure camp is like a job fair, but for athletes. And this is, is not free. You pay money basically to go to a casting call and you show your ability. You don't bring a resume and talk. You bring your sneakers and you play. Right. And there's 200 guys who all think they can play pro ball. And we're all trying to prove that we're good enough to play pro. And the people in the audience are not just basketball fans. These are agents, coaches, scouts, and owners from basketball teams all over the world. They fly into these places because they're looking for the next wave of talent to sign. So I went to one of those events, uh, spent my own money to go there. This was a year removed from graduation. So my first year after graduation, I worked at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. I worked at a gym called Bally Total Fitness, selling memberships. Uh, they're now out of business, but not because of me. I sold a lot of memberships. But um, I, Somehow this, I believe this, that. Yes, this is, a, this is summer of 2005 to give everybody a, a timeline here. So we drove from Philly to Orlando. It's a 15-hour drive. Hopped out of the car at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. We drove overnight, and we started playing. Now, I could get away with that at age 23. Couldn't do it now, but did it then. <laughs> and over two days, this is just a two-day event. You pay money. It was $250 in cash. I paid in cash. I did not have a bank account or a credit card at that time. I paid $250 in cash at the door, and we had two days to – it was make or break for me because I had to save up that $250, mind you. I'm still living in my parents' house. I had to negotiate with my boss at Bally to get three days off because nobody gets three days off straight at, in that kind of job. I had to negotiate with him to get the days off, and that camp was Saturday, Sunday. Monday morning, I had to be back at work. So when the camp ended on Sunday, we hopped back in the rental car and drove back to Philly because I had to be at work Monday morning. Right. And that that was the, that was how it was. And I played pretty well at that exposure camp. I got a good scouting report, which is now third-party validation that this guy can play. And I got the footage of myself playing at that camp, Michael. Mm. And that footage was on this thing called a VHS tape. You remember those? I do, yeah, for sure. Okay, so the VHS tape. Now I'm back at, at Bally Total Fitness. So here's what I do when I get back home. Cause I didn't get signed to a contract on the spot. 
I got, you know, I got, I shook some hands and I could tell people were taking a liking to my game, but I did not get a contract. So what I did is I started calling basketball agents. I mean, literally cold calling basketball agents. I don't mean emailing, not DMing. I'm going on Google. Google did exist at this time. I'm, I just Googled basketball agent. If I seen an agent who had a phone number, I picked up my phone. I, this is cell phones, not smartphones. And I'm calling these agents. Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I have. Because at this point, I have collateral, right? A month before this, I had no collateral. It was just me talking. Now I have, I, hey, hey, Mr. Agent, I have a scouting report. Here's the link. I have footage. Where can I send this footage? Now, mind you, this is not a YouTube link. Yeah, I'm physically mailing these guys copies of a right, VHS right, right. tape. Right? right. So those Love of you millennials it. listening to this, if you don't know what a VHS tape is, ask your parents or Google it. And I'm putting these in bubble mailers. I went to Eckert, the grocery store, the, yep. the pharmacy. I had a ten. I bought ten packs of blank VHS tapes, and I had a double decker VCR at home. And I'm making copies of this VHS tape, and I'm mailing these out to agents. I called about sixty agents, Michael. Twenty of those agents said, okay, let me see what you got. I mailed out 20 VHS tapes of the 20. I, I, by the way, I'm impressed it was 20. Yeah, it was 20 of them. Yeah, yeah that's I, impressive. Got, I was getting a good, uh, yeah. That's good conversion. In the internet. Yeah. yeah this is the early days of the internet, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's pretty good conversion. Before before we got flooded out. Yeah. And well, now my conversion, my sales rate was 5%, which is actually still pretty good, right? Because yeah. one agent called me back after he got all those 20 tapes. Okay. And he said, I'll represent you. Mm. So that agent signed me. This is July 2005. Now he signed me. Now, just because you signed with an agent does not mean anything. All right. No money falls out of the sky. Well, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. on. You you know that now, but tell me about how you felt the day that the agent says, I will, I'll give you a shot. What does that feel like? I felt good, Michael, for two reasons. Number one, I already had it in my mind that I was going to make it happen. I had a, I had a, a vision in my mind that I am going to make it happen as pro. That was number one. Number two, at the exposure camp, I had played well enough and I had a very solid scouting report that said positive things about me. I, I love that scouting report. So I knew as long as the right eyeball saw it, something was going to pop off. And number three, when I signed with the agent, it was it was like a, a benchmark because one of my benchmarks was when I got out of college, I said, all right, number one, I have to get some third party validation that I can play from somebody other than me has to be saying I can play. Number two, I got to get footage of me playing against some guys who are pro level and doing well. I, I checked both of those boxes off. And number three, I had to get someone who's already working in the pro world to look at me and say, and validate me and say, hey, you are pro quality. I will, you can do this. So I already had marked off all three by the time he signed me. So I felt good about that. So I was just kind of waiting with bated breath. All right, when is this guy going to get me a deal? And he just said, whatever agents always tell free agent players, for those of you who don't know, stay in shape, be ready. You know, somebody, something's going to happen. And when that call comes, you got to be ready. Cause it's like, it's 48 hours you getting on a plane. Yeah, like, yeah. That's how it is. I had a running back, so, uh, a NFL running back that was like that. Uh, who just was just a guy in our gym, but just mm-hmm. every day was just in work and like he was going to get the phone call, you know? Right. And it's, it's exciting for at the beginning, but it, the longer that time goes before that call comes is like, all right, how am I going to keep doing this? So it's, it's kind of like, you gotta, you gotta have a lot of mental toughness to do it really. 
And at the same time, we're talking about your career here. We're talking adults. These are not 14 year olds. These are grown men and women. Right. You're thinking about like, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to live like an adult? Now, mind you, at this time, I'm 23. So I'm still relatively young and I'm still living in my parents' house. And I'm like, all right, when is this going to happen? So I signed with the agent in July, 2005, but by the end of August, it only took him about five, six weeks. He was, he was just texting me once a week. And then one day he texted me, he said, Hey, I got a team in Lithuania. They're interested. I'm negotiating a number with you. Um, this is probably going to happen. It's just a matter of us setting on a number. So I'm like, yes, that's, that's what I knew what was going to happen. So it was uh, late August, 2005. I signed my first contract, Countess Lithuania. That's where my career started. Wow. So you've, you've obviously never been to Lithuania. Uh, so you, never been you, out of country. You, you get on a plane yeah. with a bag and you go, all right, I guess I'm going to go be a basketball player. And you, you land in Lithuania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's this Philly boy thinking as he's, you know, in the shuttle, you know, from the plane? Uh, it has to just feel, did it feel overwhelming? Were you super excited? Like what was the, what was your vibe? It was surreal. I felt uh, validated first of all, cause yeah. I had played, I mean, again, from my background, high school, barely played college D3. Nobody from here goes anywhere. So getting out of school and kind of not really have anything going on for a year. And now here I am, I'm on a plane in Europe and I'm in this country that I've never been to before. And I'm walking around here and you're a six, four black guy walking around Lithuania. Everybody knows why you're there, right? You know, you're there to play basketball. There's nothing else to do there. So that was, it was a very validating feeling and surreal at the same time. And the good news is there were three other uh, black guys there. Cause there was, there were two teams in the town that I was in. So there were two Americans. And there was one guy who was African. So the four of us, we all hung together walking around the town. It was just, it was surreal. I can still kind of feel it right now. Just talking about it. Hmm. Wow. That's unreal. Was it, uh, did you find, was it intimidating? Cause there's a language barrier and, and you know, no. how did you get through any of that stuff? No, I wasn't intimidated at all. I mean, I knew what I was going there to do to play basketball. Just the fact that I had signed a contract got on the plane and landed over there was already a, a success for me. So I wasn't right. intimidated at all. And I knew it was, it was the language of basketball. And the thing is my coach and most of my teammates did not speak English. So my, my agent from my agent was an American guy. He connected with an agent in Lithuania and that agent in Lithuania, he would come to our practices. And every time the coach had to talk to me, the coach would say something to the agent. The agent would tell me what the coach said, and then I would have to go do it. That's how, and that's how we would do it the whole season. What was your, Mm -hmm. uh, what would you consider your professional career highlight? Mm, That's a good question. As a player. Yeah. Uh, my professional career highlight was probably a few years later. I was playing in Montenegro. That was probably my highlight that year, simply be- for two reasons. Number one, on the business side, I found myself a free agent again, and I had to get back in the game again. And I sent probably, I I talked about this in one of my books. I sent 10,000 emails over the course of about four to five months to try to get myself back in the game. Because at this point, I didn't have an agent. My original agent, he left basketball because he said the game is so dirty and these people are so unscrupulous. I'm going back to being a lawyer. I don't want to be an agent anymore. So I didn't have an agent and I had to get myself back in the game and I was able to do so, number one. And number two, that team I was on in that league in Montenegro, we only played a game once a week, every Saturday. And I, I tell people this, that overseas season in every country is different. So Overseas is not one big league. Every country has a league. France, Spain, Germany, they all have their own leagues. But generally speaking, the overseas basketball season is the same length as the NBA, but much fewer games. Mm. Like the most games you're going to find in any league in a season is maybe 40, 
40-ish games and NBA is 82 games. So what are we doing all that time that we're not playing games? We're in practice. So this team in Montenegro, we played a game once a week, but we practiced twice a day, Monday through Friday. Wow. So it's 10 practices for every one game. And that's how it is. That's the normal way out there. Wow. And because we practiced so much, my game was just very sharp. And all we did was shoot. It was just shooting, shooting, shooting drills. That's all we did over there at that time. So my jump shot was automatic. I was making threes with my eyes closed mm. at that point. So that was my, that was the best time because my game was just so sharp at that time, simply because of the process of how things were. Where would you, if, if someone said right now, you have to go live in one of those cities mm-hmm. that you travel to, which one would you choose? One of the places that I played? Yeah, or traveled to that you were like really impressed by. Mm, it's a good question. I would either choose, well, my my first thought was maybe Countess, just because it was a beautiful place, but it gets too damn cold up there. Where's that? Especially in the Countess, Lithuania. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, a, that's the second biggest city in the country. Vilnius is the capital. Countess is the second biggest city. I like Countess, and the, the people there are beautiful. The women are beautiful. They're all blonde and thin. But... In the from September to December, you don't see the sun. It's just mm. overcast every single day. And I live in Miami for a reason. Right. So 100%. it would not be. I live countless. in SoCal for a reason. Yes, exactly. So I would have to choose Herceg Novi Montenegro. Mm. It's right on the water. It's right on the Bay of Kotor. So even in the wintertime, the coldest you get is about 50 degrees. Yeah. And it's a beautiful town. So I would probably choose uh, Herceg Novi. You have this. Um... I'm not sure if infectious is the right word. You have such a, uh, you've got a very confident, motivational energy about you. Um, mm. And it, it it feels as if there's no bullshit behind it. Like you're really drawing on, um, what's the right word? I, I feel like you're, you're a very good translator between the, the, and I mentioned it before, but kind of the grit necessary to succeed and, and how people need to to uh, hear information disseminated so that they understand it. And I'm curious if you had a, um, was there a, a, a benchmark for you? Was there a, a, a maybe not a mentor per se, but but a, uh, if you had to if you had to look at you know you as from an outside standpoint, and what are you the product of? You know what I'm saying? Mm. What's the combination that ended up you right now in this particular way? Uh, that's a good question, and I uh, appreciate the compliment. I would have to start with my – I had to start with my parents. I had to start with my mother. She's an educator herself. Mm. And my mother's uh, specialty in education is early education and, like, uh, reading and comprehension. So I think that's definitely a big part of it. So my sister and I, my sister's a year older than me. She's a college professor, actually at UCLA, by the way. Mm. So my mother had both of us reading and writing from an early age. So by the time we got to school, we were advanced. My sister was better than me. She skipped the grade, you know, went to all the best schools, Ivy League. You know, she has all the all the letters behind her name and all that stuff. And now (laughs) she's a professor. So perfect, like Frankenstein of academics. Uh, Me, I was... I was good, but because I was also a boy, I was also the second kid and I was more into the athletics. I think my mom didn't go as hard on me as she went on my sister. So she let me be in. I was an average student because I just didn't try that hard. But I always had the I had the intelligence. I was good enough to get C's. You know, as they say in sports, C's get degrees. So (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, when they tell that to the basketball and football players, I'll say I didn't say it. So that's hilarious. 
Um, I graduated with 2.6, and not because I was a 2.6 intelligence, just because that was my effort level. And but for me, I always had the ability to like public speaking and the ability to take what was in my head and communicate it to an audience of people. I always had that ability. So when the internet came around, I knew it was for me, Michael. I knew as soon as I saw it and I said, oh, so I can just take what I think, put it on paper or put it on video and put it out. And then random people can find it and relate to it and understand it. I said, oh yes, this is, this is what I need to be doing. What I knew I was going to play basketball, but when I saw the internet become the internet, when YouTube came out, I said, oh, this is where I'm going to be at. When First, it was blogging. Blogging first, then YouTube, and then social media, and now everything that we have here. I said, this is my this is my long-term thing, because you can play basketball for 10 years if you're lucky. Most careers are, what, three to five years, you know, 20 years if you're a Kobe Bryant. But what are you going to do after that? So yeah. I already knew this is what I was going to be doing. Right. It's really impressive, yeah. though. Uh, um, did you um, – what was the evolution of it? Cause you, you know, you came back eventually from your basketball career mm -hmm. and from what I saw, you got on YouTube relatively early. You were like 2007 or something like that, which is obviously really early. When did you feel like you had something to say where, what, like, what were the, what were the conversations like, um, privately? Meaning like if you had a, a, a colleague or a friend that you were, you know, they were like, man, how, how come you are X, Y, Z? And you go, here's what you do. You go, blah, blah, blah. Like before you scaled yourself and turned your brain inside out, what mm -hmm. was the, you know, I, I'm curious about your chops as you, as you came through and, and uh, prior to putting it out to the world, you know what I mean? Like what was the moment where you realized there was something to give? I would have to go all the way back to high school. Mm. I've always been a person who, I've never had an issue being the one person in the room whose opinion is different than everybody else's in the room. Mm. I've always been that type of person. And it always would make me curious back in the school days. How is it that all of you uh, looking at the people in the room? How is it all of you have the same opinion on all these different topics? And I realized as I got older, they didn't all have the same opinions. People were just going along to get along. But I never had a problem not going along. And some people saying, well, why are you the only one with a different opinion? I'm like, just because somebody has a different opinion doesn't mean that they're wrong. Just because all you agree doesn't mean that you're right. I always thought that way, but I wasn't always able to articulate it, you know, until no later as I got into adulthood. But I always had this idea. So back in probably in the college days, because I've always been big in writing down my goals. I've been doing that since the 90s. And in the 2000s, while I was in college, I remember I wrote down my goals and I said, one day I'm going to have a website that's all about me and by me, where I just get to share my thoughts and ideas because I knew I thought differently than most people. And I also knew I had the ability to articulate it. I had the ability to explain how and why I thought differently than most people. And I knew if somebody just listened to it, it would make sense. I, I already knew these things in my bones back in like 2003. This is back when I had a desktop computer in college that was so slow, Michael. I would type in ESPN.com in the browser, hit enter, then I would go take a nap. And then hopefully <laughs> when I woke up, the, right. the website was up on the screen. <laughs> so sure. that's, that's, that's where, I, where I came from, but I knew. And when I saw the internet, I said, this is where I'm going to be. This is where people are going to get to know me. And so to answer your question there once, so YouTube, I got on YouTube in 2005, the year that it came out. Yeah. And that was, I took that VHS tape from my exposure camp, got it transferred onto a 
a data CD, put that CD in the computer. And that was my first YouTube video. And that's where the players started to find me. Basketball players started to find me. But at the same time, I had been blogging a little bit before that, but the YouTube kind of took off. I got known from YouTube videos, basketball. I was blogging before that though. And I always been a writer because I told you my mother's a, a language English writing teacher. So I've always been to reading books, always been in writing. And then the video came along and I had the basketball ability and so to answer your question there, where did I kind of get this idea or where did I get this this vision of just sharing my different thoughts? It was it started with the basketball. And I saw when I started to explain to the basketball players, because I would at first I was just doing the drills. I would just show people, here's how you dribble. Here's how you do a crossover. Here's how you do the Kobe move or whatever. Right. And those were and popular. That. Yeah. Yes, they were very popular. People like that stuff a lot. Yeah. But I knew that as soon as I'm not the guy who's on the court every day, I can't just sell myself as a basketball player. Cause I'm not going to be that guy. Somebody's going to be more popular than me, but the players would just ask me questions about, Hey, when they found out about my background, the same thing that I explained to you, like, why'd you keep trying? You no. Know, how'd you keep the vision alive in your mind? How did you, you know? What was your thought process? So then I started explaining my thought process and I thought this is the way that anyone who succeeds thinks. But what I realized, once I started explaining it, people were saying, Dre, I've never heard anybody talk about it that way. I realized that this was unique. And that's when I really started to put my foot on the gas of talking about like the, the mental game and the strategies and the just the, the frameworks of the way that I think. And when I started doing that, that's when people who didn't play sports started seeing my stuff. And I said, OK, this is the lane that I'm taking, because eventually I'm not going to be the guy who can jump 40 inches in the air. And these basketball players, the next wave of basketball players, you mentioned me to a 15-year-old ball player today. They're going to say, who? Uh, they don't know me. But the guys who, the people who are looking for material on mindset and strategy, and, and actually back then, they didn't even know they were looking. People were just going on the internet because it was interesting. Now people go look. But then when people were seeing my stuff, I said, this is the lane that I'm going to take. So around 2009, 10, Around that time period, I started making my own products. I started writing my first book. I started talking more about mindset and things like that. And that's when my audience started to morph. I still had the ball players following me, but I also started to pick up on pick up people who were not athletes because they liked the way that I would just break stuff down. And the fact that I was giving it to them from an athletic standpoint and athletic perspective made me unique because I wasn't just this normal guy in you know, khakis and a button up shirt. Uh, telling them some stuff that I learned in the consulting class. This is things that I learned in real life. So that kind of gave me a unique angle and just my approach, just the way that I talk about things. People like the fact that I was just keeping it real. I was just telling them what it was and I'm not corporate, you know, I'm not beholden to any organization. I don't have a boss. So I can tell you exactly what it is. I'm not worried about you no know, making sure I don't say the wrong thing about to anyone or about anything. And all of that mixed together made what, you know, what has become today. We've, we've talked a lot about, um, at least on the show, about the how, how athletes and musicians are just a bit of a different breed because they mm. em, they embrace the suck. You know, it's the mm. it's the this is a, a brand new skill and there's not even there's never even a thought of quitting. It's just like, no, I don't have this yet. I'm going to. I'm going to just keep doing this until I have it. There, there's no because that's just the way you do it. It's not. Oh, I tried it and I didn't, it didn't work. It failed, you know, it failed. So I'm done now. And it's like, what do you, what do you, what do you, I don't even, what, what are you talking about? It's not even a thing. Right. So, mm. and you know, I'm a, I've been a drummer my whole life and, and, um, you know, I was playing something that I'd worked on a ton and I felt really proud of it. And then I went to a buddy of mine who's a, a professional teacher and he said, he's cool. Now, 
you know, down now just add this one little thing to it. And I did. And it was as if I had never played drums in my life. Like it, everything just unraveled. And I was like, Oh fuck, you know, and just, and, but 15 minutes later it was back and I had it and including that one thing that he wanted me to do. And it was like, that's the, that's the cool part. And if we can transpose that over to our entrepreneurial world, you know, then we've, we've got it. We've got at least the, the wherewithal to pick something and, and focus on it and not worry about, you know, again, the, the, the how, um, is mm. that a, a bit, uh, again, I want to uh, plug this. If you guys are anywhere in the South Florida area or really anywhere, um, you work on your game live February 3rd and 4th in Miami, uh, which is work on your game dot live. What can people expect if they pop into your live event, Ray? Well, what they can expect is two full days where we're going to be covering mindset, strategy, systems, and execution to help professionals do three specific things. Number one, perform at a higher level. Number two, do so consistently. And number three, of course, you want to make more money. I mean, that's the reason why you're in business. That's the reason you're investing yourself is to make money. That's your number one duty as a business owner is to create value in your business. So that's what we're going to be covering over two full days. And the good thing about my event, as opposed to other people's events who you may go to is that because we keep the size relatively intimate, like between 10 and 25 ish people, everybody can get personalized attention. We're going to have hot seats. You can ask questions directly of me, get your questions answered directly by me. And you get that personalized touch that you can't get at other events where you may get uh, lost in the crowd or just be another face in the audience. Yeah. If there's 500 people there, you're definitely not getting that. So it feels like a, it feels like a mastermind. It feels like a, a like a mastermind weekend, which is, which is fantastic. It is to me, the bang for the buck of, Mm -hmm. of events, because yes, you can walk in with some very specific goals and then be like, here's the thing I'm struggling with. And then there's very specific answers on the way out. And you know, you, you, all you got to do is execute at that point. So, um, that's right. You're, you mentioned earlier when we were chatting about, um, you know, you writing books and you're like, yeah, it's, it's just not as, it's not as scalable. I'm curious kind of where your head is for 2023 and what you're, what you're looking at, um, strategically for your business. Great question. This is bringing people into my university. So it's called work on your game university. That's where all my coaching programs are, my courses. And I, I send out two physical mailings every month. I write a monthly bulletin and a monthly, I call it the black book. Every month I send those two physical mailings out. And that's really where I'm focused because it's simply just higher uh, return on investment for the time and effort that I'm putting in. I've written so many books already. It's not that I will never write another book, but the biggest focus right now is just getting that coaching program where I want it to be. So that program is specifically for professionals who are looking for the system. They're looking for the strategy. They're looking for, of course, the mindset stuff. And I work with a lot of people who are already making a healthy amount of money. So these are people who are making 150 grand and making 300 and making 500 K, but they're looking for, Hey, I'm making this money, but I'm out of shape now. Or I'm making this money, or I know I can't get past this glass ceiling until I put some structure and some systems into my business. Or I'm making this money, but I never felt completely confident in myself, or I'm not as disciplined as I need to be. So these people are sometimes looking for ways to make money, but often they're looking for the other pieces that kind of go around, the ancillary pieces to the money that they're making. So really, I'm just looking to get that program going the way that it needs to go. I'm also working with uh, one of my business partners on a program for people who are transitioning out of the active duty military back into civilian life. So those are all going to be wrapped into our coaching program. So that's the biggest thing I'm focusing on for this year. Just along with putting other just systems in place in my business, you know, getting everything streamlined online, uh, getting some design people in place. I need to get a video editor in place. You know, all those, all those little things, maintenance things. 
I was curious about that. Like, what's your what's your team? I've obviously worked with uh, Kim back and forth on booking this show, but what's yeah. your team like? Is it just you and Kim, or do you have other people involved? Yeah, so Kim's my assistant. She handles the the media and the stuff like this. Our com- the conversations you had with her, and then I have my audio team. They handle most of the content stuff. So as far as I have a podcast as a solo show, just me talking every day. They get all the episodes edited, published up on the site and things like that. But I'm actually going, I'm talking with them right now. I'm going to figure out how to get them to just manage my content. So all my written material and stuff like that, just get it up on my websites and just make sure the SEO is tight and all of that. But I need to, and they're all based in the Philippines. Yeah, so right. So now, yeah, the next step, Michael, is I want to hire an American, a full-time an American person who can handle they probably will take over handling a lot of the direct conversations that I have with people in the United States, especially uh, affiliate marketing. I'm going to bulk bulk up my affiliate marketing efforts this year. So we're not just depending on ads and just our in-house list, but actually getting people like yourself, you already have an audience and getting people like you to share your audience with us. We give you a kickback of the money that we're making and know everybody's happier. So that's, I want to get an assistant who can handle that. And that's going to be their full-time job. So that's the next piece that I'm going to add to my team. What do you, uh, what do you think you're, you're, uh, what are you not good at? Or what, what are the things that trip you up right now? You mean in business? Just in, yeah. Or yeah, sure. Business is um, good. Yeah. The biggest thing in business, I just don't like doing the, the, um, anything like CRM based, uh, putting leads into CRMs, any of that stuff. If I ever have to do that, that is an energy drain. It makes me fall asleep. So I don't want to do that kind of stuff. That's why I have no staff to handle that kind of stuff. And just anything that it's like the repetitive thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. I know what my strengths are, Michael. So I should be doing, there's only three things that I'm, three things that I'm great at my money skills. Number one, and these are in no particular order. I should be writing. I should be uh, speaking into a microphone or a camera, or I should be communicating directly with a human being. One, two, three. If I'm not doing one of those three things, I'm not uh, serving my business at my best level. I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing, which is by deductive reasoning, costing me money. Right. Those are income producing activities. Yes. And they're my money skills. They're the things that I'm best at. Yeah. So I shouldn't be doing anything else. Right, right, right. Um, What do you do when you're, when you're uh, not feeling it and you're, you're, you're out of sorts, you're, you're depressed, you're bummed out about something or you're angry about something, or I'm curious about like what your reset looks like these days. I'll do it anyway. So that's, that's my thing. I don't, I don't know the last time I was depressed, but, um, how do you fix your mindset though? Uh, well, it's a good question. It's conditioning, mental conditioning. That's the first chapter of my book. Work on your game is, is called cardio for the mind. And it's about conditioning your mind so that even on your bad days, you're still performing better than most people on their best days. And that's about how you condition your mind on a consistent basis. And one of my other books called The Mental Workbook is all about how you condition your mind in such a way with the way that you talk to yourself every day. Now, Napoleon Hill called it auto-suggestion, or some people call them affirmations. And it's just your personal statement. What are you saying to yourself on a daily basis? And I mean, verbally talking to yourself on a daily basis. And I've been doing that for probably two decades now. Mm. And that's how I condition my mind. So that, and that's getting the subconscious involved, which controls 85% of your thoughts. So that's really the thing that I do. And then the conscious thoughts is really just reminding yourself. And this is, and that gets 
uh, ingrained just by the material that you take in. So I you know listen to audiobooks, uh, a lot of courses, you know, investing a lot in you know, courses and programs and coaching and things like that, just to keep my mind sharp and where it needs to be, knowing what my main focus is. And my main focus this year is really uh, getting that program, coaching program where I needed to be and you no know, collaboration, you no know, having conversations with people like yourself. Yeah. What are you, what are you doing when you clock out? You have to clock out sometimes. You can't mm-hmm. be going 100% all the time. So what's, oh, what's, what's, you, what's you clocking out? What does that look like? So me clocking out today is going to be about 5 p.m. Eastern. So it's 3.30 Eastern right now. Yeah. And at 5 p.m., if my son is awake, he's four and a half months. He's sleeping right mm. now. But it's, when he wakes up, I usually take, I've been taking him with me on my evening walks. So I take a walk every evening. So yeah. it's about 30, 45 minutes. So I'm going to take a walk out here in the beautiful streets of Miami. I go through my daily notes, uh, write all my notes down, everything that I need to have in place, which includes writing down um, seven of my biggest goals, my overnight uh, demand of my subconscious mind. I write that down every single night. Uh, What time I want to wake up tomorrow morning, I write that down. All of these things are part of programming the subconscious and uh, go through my walk. And I'm usually in bed, Michael, by 730 to eight o'clock because I wake up at 345 a.m. tomorrow morning. 345. Wow, you're even yeah. up on the 4 a.m. CrossFitters. Wow. What yeah. are you doing at 345? Running 117 miles? <laughs> well, actually, I, I got to take this week off from running because I got a sore right hamstring. So I got to let the hamstring sore, hamstring heal. But um, what I normally would be doing tomorrow is running. But then I'm in the boxing gym three times a week. I'm running three times a week. And I take one day to kind of uh, rest and relax. Yeah. This year, I got to I gotta get some photo shoots, some new photo shoots. I haven't done any shoots in a couple months, so I'm going to probably book a shoot probably for this weekend. But um, other than that, what I'm doing in the morning, my norm, normal morning routine before the workout is a liter of water, then it's uh, two bananas, then it's yoga and meditation, about 10 minutes of yoga, about 20, 30 minutes of y- meditation. And that's moving meditation. That's not, I'm not sitting in a lotus position with incense burning. I will fall asleep. But uh, then there's the meditation, then it's to the gym. So I'm usually on my way to the gym within 45 minutes of working out. And then when I get done um, at the jacuzzi, my building, I live in a condominium. So I'll go to the jacuzzi, foam roll, stretch, shower, shave, get dressed. And then I'm at work. I'm working by 730, 8 o'clock. So it's, it's occurring to me that maybe you don't know the meaning of clock out. Maybe that's uh, maybe we're disconnected. <laughs> on well, yeah, I clock, I'm clock out at five o'clock. There's no more work. I'm, well, I'm but if you're if you're reviewing notes the whole time, you're not clocked out. Like, do you well, ever no, just? What do you do when you just do nothing? Like, do you, are you watching TV? Are you just uh, sitting with a margarita overlooking the ocean? Or like, what's the what's the chill version? I do not own a TV, but um, <laughs> what I do is no, I don't. I don't really have it. I don't really have time like that. Yeah, I would be <laughs> That's reading. What I'm talking about. Yeah. Spending time with my son, yeah. with my uh, wife. That's it. Nothing else. You read nonfiction ever? No. No. Oh, wait, wait. Nonfiction. Nonfiction. Yes, nonfiction. You ever read fiction? I read all the time. I'm sorry. You I read do not fiction? read fiction. You don't? Yes, fiction I do not read. No. Have you no ever? made up stories. No. No. Wow. Actually, no. Else. Actually, I'm reading one right now, Michael. I'm reading um, Atlas Shrugged, but that's a oh, long yeah. ass book. It's yeah. a long <laughs> book. I listened to that book when I was in Australia, and... um. It was so, uh, and you, correct me if I'm wrong on this. It, mm. Normally I listen to, you know, audiobooks at like 2X um, yeah. and I just kind of rip through them. Um, this was so beautifully written. Like just the, the prose was so good 
that I slowed it down to maybe 1.25 instead of uh, 2.0 because it was just it, I remember thinking, God, if people actually talked like this, it would be amazing. This world would be amazing if people spoke to each other like this. Yeah, it's I'm just, still at, I'm still listening to it on 2.0. Yeah, I, I jump in between different books because it's so damn long. That it's so long. I get away from it. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about it, of it so far? Well, I am not deep enough into it to really get where it's going. Yeah. Yet I'm still at the part where they're talking about the the railways, and it seems like the brother and sister are having a feud. I think yeah. that's what's happening. It's hard. I, it's hard for me to keep track with fiction. Uh, they got to get to the good stuff. So I don't think I've gotten to it yet. So I'm, I think I'm still pretty early in the book. I think you're early on it. Well, it's a long book, so you know you could be yeah. a thousand pages <laughs> yeah, in it. Be it's early. Eight. Yeah, yeah. It's early. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it's I've like... heard such. I've heard a lot of good things about it from people whose business acumen I really respect. That's the reason why I'm listening to it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It, you'll, you'll. My guess is that you will, when you finish it, you will pull certain things from it that you that are more uh, up your alley, and then other things you go, yeah, okay, I get it, because yeah. there's definitely a. Um, there's a that book has a hard political slant. So mm. there's there's things there's there will be things you may agree with and maybe things you don't so much. Um, but but um, the from what I hear, I think I'll agree with them. The lesson um, <laughs> in uh, innovation to me is is really what it's about. And um, yeah. and yeah, and it's again so beautifully written that that uh, that I think you'll really enjoy it either way. Um, yeah. So with your live event coming up. Do you mm. um, do you pre-vet anybody or somebody somebody walks in the door and they're ready to go? Like I'm curious about your um, your evaluation phase when you work with a new client, and you know it's just like like any coach they need to see you play a little bit before they can go. Okay, mm. here's what we got to work on. So I'm curious, like you know, when I started this podcast now nine years ago, and I did these. Um, as a bonus, I did these coaching calls. I said, look, if you want to sign up for my, I had a group coaching program, program called Solo Lab. And mm -hmm. I said, if first 10 people to sign up for Solo Lab, I'll do a 30 minute uh, call with them. And so I hadn't done a whole lot of coaching or anything at that point. But I found that much like, you know, uh, Daniel-san, wax on, wax off. People started right. asking me questions. And I knew the answers to everything. And not only that, but mm -hmm. I could really articulate it well. And I go, oh, no, no, just do this, this, this. And I went, huh, how do I know that? But I guess I just know it because I've done it. On the, I've been on each side of it. I've, I've started businesses and I've also um, had to teach people how to do things and, and maximize their skill sets. So right. I really loved the, the coaching side. Like I really, really appreciate doing that. And so I'm curious about your, um, you know, when you realize that you had a bit of a knack in that case, what your evaluation process is when you work with somebody new. Okay. So the, my event is separate from the coaching. Those are two different things. I think you mentioned the event earlier. Yes. But event, somebody can get a ticket. You can come to the event It's two days and then your hands are clean. You're done. Now, if you want to keep working with it, we make you an offer. But as far as the coaching goes, people get on a call. Yeah. We get on a call and we talk about it. We need to find out first of all, where you're at. Secondly, where you want to go and then I evaluate if I can actually help you. And if so, then we talk about how I could possibly help you. So that's how I, that's how we vet people, but you have to get on a call first. You can't just, there's no place you can go and just pay for it. Right. Well, I just meant, um, if you're doing your live event, you get a mm -hmm. chance to answer people's questions live because that's one of the, the, uh, the beauties of having a slightly smaller event is because they get to ask questions and that kind of thing. So, right. 
you being able to, and that, and that's obviously something you can't prepare for. So I'm curious about your, um, the ability to think on your feet like that when you're working with someone new and how you, um, I don't know. Cause you have to, I guess what I'm getting at is you have to walk in with a certain amount of confidence and, and skill set to be able to answer questions. You have no idea what's coming up. You don't have any idea if they're going to ask you a marketing or a strategy or a, you know, finance or whatever question is going to be. Obviously right. you have those answers. You've written a bunch of books. You're, you're confident in that regard, but, but, um, the, the, the knack of being able to do that without having pre-vetted anybody in any way, um, that's a pretty unique skill. So I was just wondering if you had a, like if someone comes to the event, if they need to be able to give you a little bit of background ahead of time, or you just sort of have it, you know, you're able to work on the fly like that. I can work on the fly. I yeah. like taking questions. And when I Me speak too. somewhere, even when I speak, a, give a keynote, and there's going to be q and I always tell people, listen, ask me a question, try to stump me, try to ask me something that I can't answer. I, I love answering questions right there on the spot. And the questions that people are going to ask me are going to be about my material. And I know the material better than anybody. So there's nothing anybody could ask me that I couldn't answer. So I actually enjoy the Q&A part even the most, because sometimes somebody comes there with one burning question that they really want to answer. This is waiting for their chance to ask it. So I'm, I love when people ask me questions and I often, a lot of my content over the years has been based off of questions that I see people asking. Yeah. So I love the questions. Yeah. I love that. The, um, what would you consider your wheelhouse? What, what, what's your greatest, uh, strength as a, uh, coach or a creator? Just breaking things down. My biggest thing is being able to break, take something that people see as complex, break it down to its simple elements, then put it back together so that you can understand it. So basically think of a baby, you take a big piece of food, you break it up into little pieces that the baby can eat, then you feed it to them. So they get their meal. So that's what I do with people. I, I can take things that people see as a complex thing and help explain it. Like we talk about today, I was on Clubhouse talking about systems. Most people want to hear systems in business. They think you got to be, you know, IBM or some big company with 20 consultants to have a system. No, you, first of all, you got to understand what a system actually is. And it was just simply just a set of instructions that you follow. That's all a system is. And you can make a system for how you pack your suitcase when you go to travel for a week. So you just have to figure out I know how to break things down and then just make it simple for people to understand. Now they got to go apply it, but I can make it very simple for you to understand things that most people see as complex. Mm. So it's beginning of 2023. We have, I'm sure plenty of people that will listen to the show that aren't where they want to be uh, for mm. whatever reason, probably consistency. You know, I, I think I agree with you in that. I think consistency is probably the most important of all the things as being mm -hmm. consistent with something, even if it's a couple minutes a day. Um, they have a goal. Maybe they don't have a clearly defined goal yet. I'm curious about uh, if you could give them a, look, a 20,000 view step. Here's how the process should work uh, if you're not happy with your life right now. I know yeah, it's very broad. A question. Yeah, that'd be a, that, that type of person needs to hire a coach. So, yeah, 100%. If yeah, if they're not happy with their life right now, first of all, let's figure out what you're unhappy with. Let's figure out what those are. It's probably multiple things. Then the question is, all right, where is that? Where are those things at right now? Let's be honest about where exactly they are right now. Then where do you want them to be? All right. So now we have our where we are now. We have our where we want to be. Now we need to bridge in between these two points. And what we're going to do is deconstruct. We're going to start at where you want to be. What would need to be true for that to happen? 
You're going to answer that question, but we need to be true for that to happen. Answer that question. We're going to keep asking the question until we have worked backwards to where you are today. Now we have our action plan. Now the question is, how do we put together a strategy in the system so that you can actually execute on these points? Because I guarantee there are some things in the action plan that they already have, quote unquote, known or thought about or considered or been told, but they simply didn't do it. So right. now how do we put a strategy in the system in place so that you can actually execute and do those things? And who's going to keep their foot in your ass so that you actually do? Them? Yeah, that's the that's the coaching part. That's the coach part. Yeah, it's yeah, the coach. It's the personal trainer. Do. It's the whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Accountability, all of that. I worked with a guy, this guy, Woody Klaus, who's a professional a racquetball player back when I was playing a lot of racquetball. And, and um, one of the things he was known for is that he taught so much mindset um, versus uh, tactical or physical. Mindset was such mm -hmm. a huge piece of his coaching. Because he said, look, every one of you guys is a, you know, a semi-pro or an expert player and you can all get on the court and execute every shot. Um, maybe not as consistently as a pro, but, but pretty good. Like it's there. Um, you get two of you guys equally on a court together. The game becomes 99% mindset yet you guys work on 99% physical. And that's was such an interesting disconnect for a lot of, uh, for a lot of us, the athletes They were like, man, you're totally right. I sit there and work on my backhand the whole time, but I don't work on when I'm down you know, whatever it is, 10 to four and it's the state championships. And how do I need to, what routines do I need to have in my life to mitigate the nerves and the, you know, the pressure of this particular situation. And it's stuff that we don't work on until we're in the actual situation. So if you can, if you can have a plan for that, um, you, you can succeed. And I, I love that you, you break it down from the, the, the goal backwards to where you are currently, because I, I mean, that's certainly the right way to do it. Um, the right. other thing I love is um, people ask me, I've done now 800 and this will probably be 866 episodes of the show. And people ask, well, what's the, what's the through line between all the successful people? And I say, you know, most successful people say yes first and then they figure out the details later almost universally, mm -hmm. whereas most quote unquote average people will say maybe, and then think of 10 reasons why they couldn't do a particular thing. Too much time, right. too much money. I'm not there. I've got this going on, blah, blah, blah. And that's not how successful people think. They think exactly the opposite. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. What do I need to do to make this happen? And they work backwards from that solution. The solution is that they're doing the thing, whatever that is. And then they have to work backwards to, to make that thing happen. I, I really love that mindset. Agreed. I like that. Um, so, well, very good, man. I, I'm, I'm so motivated by you. Um, I wish we were a little closer. I would like to go to work on your game uh, in February. So I'm going to, uh, this will be my, got airplanes. this airplanes will be the, the beginning way. of my petition to get you out to do a West Coast uh, event one of these days. Um, uh, well, well, you, can still, you can still fly out to Miami. That's we true. Got plenty of time. That's true. I'm actually going to be in Orlando the week before speaking at PodFest. Uh, the, the big oh, yeah? podcasting okay. conference. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's not impossible. There's, there's stranger things have happened. I could say yes first, then figure out the details later. It's possible. Um, That's right. Uh, at Dre Baldwin, D-R-E Baldwin, uh, on the gram, and also work on your game dot live. Work on your game dot live for February 3rd and 4th for the live event. Um, 
at the very least, check out Dre's Instagram because every day he's just got some great, you know, uh, no pun intended, some baller stuff on there. Just motivational and I don't know. You're the kind of dude that I think people consume your stuff and they want to run through a brick wall, man. You're that guy. Yes, and I would advise them not to run through the brick wall. You might get a concussion, but I will tell you how to go over it, around it, or build a door through it. I love it. That's what we do. It's strategic over here. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, man. Uh, folks, you've now just listened to another episode of the Solopreneur Hour. As always, solohour.com for show notes and such. Please go visit Dre, uh, at Dre Baldwin on the gram, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Hour podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash solo hour, on Twitter at solo hour, and of course at solohour.com. Michael, you're so naughty.